Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Bruce Royal continues our series on the letters of Paul to the church at Corinth. Today, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And now, here's Bruce. Pleasure to be here this morning. Pleasure to see you. Pleasure to have my mask off. <laughs> Thank you, worship team, for leading us into this this season and um, just giving us lyrics and thoughts to consider as we we look at these these verses. We're studying this morning Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. And I'll just open in a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for the words that we can glean from your scriptures, the timeless words that you have allowed us to to enter into and to be able to to live through. And so we just ask you for your lead and your guidance this morning as we we study these words and we study these these scriptures. Together we learn together. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll just start by reading the chapter. It's not a really long chapter, but I'll read through just to familiarize you with what it's about. It's entitled Final Warnings, and this is the final chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I said... I was with you the second time, but now I repeat without absent. On my return, I will not spare those who have sinned earnestly or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power. We will live with him to serve you. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but... You will do what is right, even though we may have seemed to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, that the authority that the Lord gave me for building you up and not tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And so, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is making his, his third and last visit to Corinth. He's already anticipating that he will discover what he arrives, and unfortunately, in his writing, he's not terribly optimistic. He tips his hand at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20 when he says these verses. Paul does not often say he's fearful or afraid of anything. But he does say it here. I'm going to find among you or anticipate that I'm going to find among you quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, fractions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. The list that he is anticipating is one that he stated previously, and it came up in Galatians chapter 5, describing what Paul calls there the acts of the sinful nature. The behaviors of the flesh. Paul cautions Galatians, and he says in Chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Next slide, please. He repeats his anxiety in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21, where again he says, I'm afraid that when I come, Again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of. And the list of the sinful nature continues. He says here, impurity, sexual sin, debauchery, in which they have indulged. You might say the anticipation of Paul's third visit to Corinth is keeping him up at night. And you don't hear about Paul being anxious or fearful often in the Scriptures. But here he's saying, these things are what I expect. And I'm really not looking forward to it. It's hard to believe that these are the same people that Paul said possess great gifts and excelled as leaders in 2 Corinthians 8-7. And see... We have here is the writings of Paul. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love to us, see to it you also excel in the grace of giving. He feared that the practices of this wicked Corinth city had invaded the congregation, realizing that really no one is exempt from entering into a slide and that slide taking you down into different levels and places of sinful nature. He starts in, second, in 
chapter 13 by addressing an argument that he's expecting to hear upon his arrival. Really, he's taken the offense here instead of being on the defense. The argument that he anticipates is heard every day. It's heard every day. And it goes something like this. You can't prove that. In other words, it's your word against mine. Well, Paul starts by saying that he's not going to chase after rumors or he's not going to be baited into senseless arguments. His plan is to address the issues that he finds by establishing truth based on collaboration of witnesses, at least two or three. And this will certainly pour water on any retort that sounds anything like you can't prove that. Well, actually, I can prove that. And that's probably the last thing that Paul says he actually wants to prove. But he does say, let's get it out in the open where we can deal with it. Let's deal with it in a no-nonsense manner. It's as though Paul's saying this, and perhaps he has a headache while he's saying it. Enough is enough. I'm taking the gloves off, as it were, and you can expect to feel the full force of discipline. Verse 3, oh, and yes, I'm already anticipating to hear your second excuse. So, I'm going to deal with it now. Since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he says, I can almost hear your accusations. Something like, well, who does Paul really think he is? He doesn't even speak for God. And we are not going to listen to him. He might have heard things like that before. Not uncommon. When Paul arrives the third time, the last thing he would be is lenient. His actions could include any one of the following confronting and publicly denouncing this behavior, exercising church discipline by calling them before church leaders, or even excommunicating them from the church. Verse 4 If you think that Christ is weak because he died on the cross, think again. He's alive now and you can expect the full force of Christ. We too appeared weak to you. But when we deal with you this time, we'll be alive in Christ, strengthened by God. So take heed of my warning. Listen to these things carefully. Once again, Paul offers advice and a remedy for the purpose of the Corinthian church, renewal in God, and the strengthening of their faith. Paul shows that, yes, he can be very condemning when it comes to sin, but like Jesus, for the ultimate purpose of repentance spiritual renewal, and refocus. 
Verse 5, Paul says this word, and it's the highlight of the chapter. Two words. Examine yourselves. In spite of what I've said, or my warnings, remember that you are not ultimately accountable to me, but you are directly accountable to God. In principle, examine yourselves has been used other times in application of the Bible. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, that prior to coming to the Lord for communion, that a person ought to examine themselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And interesting, that's exactly what we did this morning. We paused for a moment. Why? Why do we do this? For the purpose of being in a relationship with God that is not distracted by other issues. So he advised us to examine ourselves prior to coming to the Lord for communion. And this may mean resolving divided relationships or making corrections such as an apology. God will ensure that we have been made aware of these issues before we come to him. Interesting how the Lord does that. In a way through his spirit, he causes what I call a sense of unease. When there is sin or issues that God desires us to address and needs to be exposed, particularly as we examine ourselves. Peter used the same principle when he asked Jesus to wash his whole body when Jesus was was washing the feet. And Jesus says that your whole body doesn't need to be washed again. The whole body is clean. It's been redeemed. It's been forgiven. It's whole. But the feet need to be continually washed. Day-to-day acts of the sinful nature that creep in, as we mentioned from Galatians chapter 5, by the frequent, I might say daily, examination of ourselves, we do keep short accounts with God. John 13, verse 8. Unless, unless I wash, you have no part with me. And how does Jesus wash? By the washing of the Word of God. Allowing the Spirit of God to surface areas of our life that need to be confessed to God. It's an awesome, awesome experience of deep spiritual examination and comes from that subsequent inward revival as we sense God's cleansing with what he's doing within us. Because really, nobody knows us like ourselves, apart from God. Yet we sometimes are the last persons to admit that we have blind spots. And all of us have blind spots. We might think that 
a lot of our friends and people, we have lots of them, but we've only got a couple. But ask them, and they might help you understand we've got as many blind spots as other people do. But the Spirit of God is gentle and genuinely intending corrective action without simply crushing the human spirit with condemnation. We're reminded in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation to us. A desire to be clean and pure and holy before a living God, but not guilted into that through condemnation, which is in itself refreshing. The Spirit works in an amazing way through the reading of the Word of God and gently reveals to us areas of our lives that are not pleasing to Him. And through that sense of unease and that subtle prompt we realize the areas that need to be openly acknowledged, confessed, and some action taken. Amazing. Amazing. It's all done in the comfort of our own homes, sitting in our chairs, walking in the park, laying on the beach, wherever you might be. Any of those places is accessible to God and you are accessible to Him. It's like the act of repentance. When we clearly realize, perhaps for the first time, that we weren't perfect, after all. And that might have been an earth-shattering experience. Wow. And realize that we are desperately in need of Jesus. And we think all of those useless, self-serving excuses are somehow now in the rearview mirror. Dirt and dust that comes from a day's accumulation of activities washes off easily. Think about life during the summer months. Life in flip-flops. Life in your slides or your sandals. Of course, over the summer, this may occur while camping at the beach or just running about doing your regular summer activities. But take a look at your feet at the end of the day and realize just how dirty they are. And you think, how did that happen? Where did that dirt come from? Yet, at the end of the first day, the dirt just simply washes off with a minimal amount of effort. Did you ever notice that? Now, imagine refusing to wash your feet for a week and then deciding, hmm, it's about time I wash my feet. They need to be cleaned. Well... Much bigger job. Not impossible. Much bigger job. Now, wait a month. Look at those feet. 
No, thank you. Those feet. Wow. So what makes sense? What is most reasonable and prudent for us as Christians? When we look at it this way, washing our feet daily is the obvious choice. But as we all know, living life is not simple. And for some reason, we tend to complicate things between our relationship with God and his relationship with us. Examine ourselves. It's a brilliant discipline that God has instituted and Paul has reminded us of it. It requires us to spend time together with God in honest dialogue. Talking, yes, but mostly listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's like a performance appraisal. I don't know if you ever had the pleasure of going through one of those. But this performance appraisal we conduct on ourselves. Yet, the performance appraisal itself, the process, is extremely flawed. Why? Because we only want to see the good stuff. And we don't want to even acknowledge or surface anything negative, much less admit that kind of stuff exists. The word examine here is an active verb. One that requires diligence and the idea of leaving no stone unturned. Like the work of a microscope, but directed towards ourselves. With God, it's liberating. It provides freedom. It's like dropping off weights and burdens. Breathing in freshness and restoration and exhaling toxins. Like a spiritual spa experience. So I go... There's really no sense in trying to rationalize or reconcile sin in our lives with God. These arguments seem so lame. They they, they seem dishonest. And much they are dishonest because we're lying to ourselves. Examine. See what God reveals. Paul's advice to the Corinthians and to us. In verse 5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether... You are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? When I was in high school, a couple years ago, not long, a couple years ago, I took the shops as part of my study in grade nine. And one of the classes was electrical, which I very much enjoyed. One of the very first exercises that we did was building what's called a simple circuit. A battery, some wire, switch, and a light bulb. The objective was to connect all the parts in a simple series circuit 
close the switch and see what happened. If successful in putting all these parts together, an amazing thing happened. Amazing. The light bulb came on. Fantastic. If connected correctly, we saw the evidence of light coming off the bulb. It was simple. Success. It was evident the electricity was traveling from the battery through the wires across the little bulb and then back to the battery. If there wasn't any light when you close the switch, I had a decision to make. I could take all the parts, walk over to the garbage can, battery, wire, switch, light bulb, and conclude that electricity does not exist. It's a hoax. The class is a waste of time. Stomp out. That's it. I'm done with electricity. Or, check the battery to make sure that, that there's a charge. Or, examine the circuit and be sure that it's connected properly. Paul is asking his readers in Corinth to conduct a spiritual test. He's suggesting that we examine ourselves to see if we're connected to the Lord Jesus. In the simple circuit analogy, the Lord Jesus is the battery, the source of power. We're the light bulb through which the power travels. The evidence of his power connected correctly, is seeing His light emitted in us. His light is emitted in us for others to see. Conclusion to the experiment. No light of Christ in our lives, then we can't conclude that we're connected to Christ. And light. What is spiritual light? is the simple evidence of a changed life that desires to serve Jesus. A life changed and now desiring to serve Jesus. Light can be seen in a multitude of ways, but it always gets its power from Jesus to serve others. It always desires to serve others. Paul says, take the test by examination of ourselves. And how do we do that? One might say, we read the scriptures and it says, examine yourself. That's a perplexing question. How do we do that? In the parable in Mark 4, Jesus taught them things by parables and his teaching, he said, listen. Listen. By asking the Lord to show himself and then the Lord to speak through the scriptures or in prayer or quietly by his spirit and listening for his voice. Mark Ford, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ears to hear. A genuine desire to hear God's voice. 
a genuine desire. I want to hear from you, Lord. Paul was urging his readers in Corinth to talk with Christ. Talk with Him. Commune with Him. Ensure that they were connected by listening to His voice. He says, don't you realize that Christ is in you? We have this promise. Next slide, please. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 2.20, two of my favorite verses of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So you take these verses and you put them together. And what do we discover? I in Christ and Christ in me. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. That's the promise, the reality of these verses. And the promise, the reality of these verses confirms that I am connected. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've internalized that. If that's become a spiritual reality to us because of our trust and our faith in Jesus, we know that we have been crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. If we go back to this electrical experiment for a, a brief second, we had a few options that I mentioned in the exercise. Number one option was to Throw out the parts. Throw out the parts. It doesn't work. It doesn't exist. Done. Check the battery to make sure there's a charge. And three, examine the circuit to make sure that it's properly connected. So on our spiritual test, if I don't hear from God, should I conclude that God doesn't exist. That's a hard no. Because there's too much evidence to suggest that God does exist. We just need to look around. We just need to open our eyes and open our ears and see. So option one, conclude that God does not exist, is not a good option. So what's next? Conclude there's no power from God. Well, in reality, that is God's responsibility to provide his power, to demonstrate his power. He will show forth his power. So what's next? Examine the personal connection I have with God and be sure that I am connected. 
that I am his child. Option one or two are really God's responsibility. I have no control over God providing evidence of his own existence and demonstrating his power. Although I believe and I trust that he exists and he does show forth his power. Option three is completely my responsibility to connect with God and remain. This is where Paul wanted his Corinthian church to come to, desiring to hear his voice in their lives and remain connected. And remain connected on a frequency basis that it doesn't allow the sinful nature to take hold. Which what we've seen from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, down to what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. Somehow in there, there is a shift. A shift where Paul said, I am so excited about this church, their faith, their speech, their conduct, their behavior. It is just all a testimony to God to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. He said, I'm afraid to come of what I anticipate seeing. The acts of the sinful nature, the arrogance, the, 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 all the stuff. In his final words to the Corinthian church, at the end of chapter 13, his mood and his manner shift, and it softens. It softens considerably. He wants to leave that letter and that statement he's making to them on an uplifting note. In verse 7 he says, It's an encouragement to press on to do what I know is right. Just as parents want their children to grow into mature adults, so Paul wanted his Corinthian church to grow up and become mature believers. He's encouraged, and he's encouraging the group in the church. He said, don't set your sights too low. Don't set your, what you anticipate too low by merely wanting to see new faith or people coming to attend church as wonderful as that is, and not diminishing the blessing of new faith and people coming to church. But he's saying that to see the church mature in faith is the ultimate goal. To see those coming to Christ, but to grow in their faith and become mature is the ultimate goal. And so he's pressing toward that. Paul and in verse 11, his final words, he says, Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for protect, for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. What Paul wanted the Corinthians to remember about the needs facing their church are relevant and critical to our church today. Those thoughts of aiming for perfection and listening to one appeal, being of one mind and living in peace. 
aiming for perfection, listening to Paul's appeal, being of one mind, living in peace. When these qualities are not present, there are problems that must be dealt with. These traits, these qualities, do not come to a church by glossing over problems, conflicts, and difficulties. They're produced, they're not produced by neglect, denial, withdrawal, or bitterness. And in conclusion, they are the byproduct of extremely hard work of solving problems together. Just as Paul and the Corinthians had to hammer out difficulties so to bring peace, so we must apply the principles of God and not just hear them. In Philippians 2, Paul was just reminding people about the example of Jesus and how he put the, the Lord's will, his Father's will first and gave himself on the cross. In verse 12, Paul tells the readers, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life. Indeed, if we're connected, if we're examining ourselves, open to what God wants us, trusting Him and obeying, then we will shine like stars for Him. Let's just close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, again, we just pause and we just marvel at Your grace and Your love. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You for Your Spirit. And we thank You for Your Word that we can open. Help us, Father, just to examine our own lives, to look for those things that where we're focusing on ourselves, not on you, to seek out your will for us and to follow it. Help us, Father, just to shine like stars for you, that us who would see it and be attracted to the light. We just ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.